This morning, I'm in two minds as to what to share with you, so uh, I will stick with what I prepared. So we're talking about being fruitful, amen? That is kind of the theme that we've been looking at this year. Earlier, I spoke about the fact that fruitfulness comes out of not only our union with Him, but our communion with Him. In other words, our relationship with Jesus is where we get our fruitfulness from. We can't do anything on our own. We can't. We can't produce anything. So I want us to go to Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. And I just want you to follow through with me what the Apostle Paul speaks about in the book of Romans. It's quite interesting because he's talking particularly to the Jews, but you can also apply it to us, and talking about the fact of their almost marriage to the law. So there he says it there. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law? So he's writing to the Roman Christians they were aware of, and they also knew the law. And he says that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. So in other words, so he has Paul, and he's saying, so as long as you're alive, the law, the law of God has authority over you. Then he continues in verse 2 to say this, He says, for example, now he uses the law of marriage. By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So now he brings in this illustration of the marriage. And he says, okay, just like the law, same with marriage. If the husband dies, the wife is released from the law of marriage. In other words, she's permitted to marry someone else. So verse 3 explains, and he says, so then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. All good. That makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, so it's an analogy between marriage and the law. Now he goes on to verse 4. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ... So when we got saved, when we got born again, it was figured in our water baptism. We died with him. We were buried with him. We were raised with him. But in that action of death, in that identification, in that union with Christ, by our faith in him, the Bible tells us that we died to the law. So we came out from under the authority of the law, and we came under another authority, and that's the authority of Christ, because he says that you might belong to another. So we were freed from the marriage union to the law through the death of Christ, our identification by putting our faith in him. We were released to marry Christ. Is that okay? And so we're married to Christ. We're in union with Christ, and uh, he says to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. So sticking with the principle, sticking with the principle of the law, the analogy of law and marriage, Paul goes on to verse 5, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, in other words, in the law realm. So that's the realm of the flesh because you have to do, you've got to obey, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept. The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. Let's just read verse 6. Let's go back to verse 6 and read verse 6. It's, it's a good verse. But now by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way 
of the Spirit, capital S, and not in the old way of the written code. Isn't that amazing? But the verses that I want to take you back, back to verse 4, where he says this, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Now, okay, he's using the analogy of marriage, okay? So the result of marriage is children, okay? And when the couple are married, children are born, we call them legitimate children. Outside of marriage, we call that illegitimate children. And so what Paul is saying is that when we were in the realm of the flesh, in obedience to the law, we produced fruit, but it was like illegitimate fruit. And it was fruit unto death. Because it was not legitimate fruit. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's why Paul in other passages refers to it as dead works. Dead works. Are you all with me? Are you following me? Okay, because we're talking about being fruitful. Okay, so let's go back to verse 5. In order that we might bear fruit for God. So that's verse 5. He says, so that we bore fruit for death when we were in the Lord. So he's talking about the fact that in our release our identification with Christ, our release from the law, the authority of the law, we are freed to come into union with Christ and we come under His authority. We now produce fruit that is legitimate and it's called living by the Spirit. Are you all good? Isn't that that amazing? Isn't it amazing that you can do stuff when you're not born again and God said it's dead works? Then you get born again and you do it and He says that's legitimate fruit. Because it has a different legacy. It's a different power. It has a different impact. Is that okay? And uh, so I want to just talk a little bit about that. The very early sort of apostolic and later theologians would talk about our mystical union with Christ. The mystical union. In other words, because as you're sitting here, you know, I'm looking at a whole lot of individuals. But as far as God is concerned, we are one with Him. He sees us as the bride of Christ. And yes, he sees individuals, but what he does is he sees a body with many members. So he sees a unit, a unity. What he sees is union. Is that okay? And so it's the same. And often when I do weddings, I say this. You know, once I pronounce them husband and wife, and I say, I talk about the miracle that has just transpired. All of you guys are looking at this couple standing over here, and you see two people. God's looking at them, and he's seeing one. Amen? Because they're in union together. Is that okay? And so that's how God sees us, completely united. And so these ancient theologians would talk about this mystical or mysterious union because, you know, you look at my life, I look at your life. But the glorious fact is this, is that I'm inseparably bonded to Jesus. He's in me and I'm in him. Paul puts it this way. He said, I betrothed you to one, even to Christ. In other words, what he is saying, you are so one with him, you are married to him. You are the bride. You're in union with Jesus. Is that okay? Are you all getting it? That's fantastic. So Charles Spurgeon says, there is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it because of the revelation of it, the happier we are. I thought that was good. Okay, so union with Christ is the center of our salvation, our sanctification, and central to all of our deepest joys in this life. So there's many New Testament texts, many, that speak of this incredible union. But what does it mean, and what is the significance, this union with Christ? And and in order for us to understand it, we've got to go through the New Testament, we've got to put in search, and we've got to start searching certain scriptures, for example, like in Christ, which appears about 89 times. 
in Jesus occurs in the New Testament about nine times. In him, you know, there's a few that need to be excluded, but there's a few dozen of those that refer to this union in him. In whom, in whom you will get more scriptures concerning our union with Jesus. And that's where these ancient theologians got this mystical union theology or the statement from. And it's important for us to look at it because what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it do for us? What's it like to be in Christ? What are its effects, this union with Christ? What does it produce in us? And we need to understand this so that we can begin to grasp the glories of who we are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, it's amazing. There was a stage where it was very popular theology to talk about Christ in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But you know, there's only a few of those scriptures, but there's a lot of scriptures about us being in Him. And, you know, which is no big deal, but we need to understand who we are in Christ. And yeah, Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And so we need to examine it because there's more than one meaning. So I want to just give you a particular passage of Scripture. It's going to two verses. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 to 22. In order for us to understand the in Christ, we need to look at it because there's varieties of meaning. So I'm going to give you one example. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 to 22, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, there are people that are very much into the inclusion doctrine, the doctrine of the universal salvation of all, and they take verses like that and say, you see, everybody's going to be saved. Well, everybody is saved, potentially. They're basically saying they're really saved. And so, you know, because it's like, this is what Paul says. So in Adam all died, but now in Christ all will be made alive. So everybody will be saved. So um, let's pack up church. Let's go fishing. (laughs) Amen? Because everybody's going to get saved. You know, they say such stupid things like, they're really saved, they just don't realize it. Now, that's what they say. I'm serious. They're really saved. They just don't realize it. You know, so, you know, but they stop there. They should actually say they're really baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they don't realize it. They're really healed, but they don't realize it. And so that is a wicked, wicked doctrine because it's to all who believe, to as many as receive him. Amen? So it's almost like the day will come, basically, when they realize they saved, and they didn't have anything to do with it. They made no decision, made no choice. It's like being informed one day, waking up one day and being informed by home affairs, or actually you're married <laughs> to that guy. Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. That's what that doctrine is like, you know? So we need to see that it's to all, you know, all will be made alive in Christ who receive him, who believe him, who accept him. Is that okay? But that's typology. So it's not quite the same as, for example, John chapter 15. Let's just look at John chapter 15, first five verses. This is powerful, and this is sort of an analogy. And Jesus loved to teach using picture language, you know, parables, stories, because they're very graphic. You know, story, there's profound truths that come over in a, in a story. So Jesus says this, verse 1. Uh, John chapter 15, verses 1, and then to verse 5. He says, I am the true vine, 
and my Father is the gardener. I'm the vine. So in other words, just like a grapevine, he's the main stem of the vine. And he says, but my Father is the gardener. Let's go on to verse 2. And then he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Okay, that cuts off is an unfortunate translation. It should be he lifts up every branch in me. He lifts, every, he lifts it up, okay? Lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Okay, so the branch that is not bearing fruit, he lifts it up, secures it to the lines on which the vine is secured, and uh, he tends to it, he cleans it, he dresses that branch, because his purpose is for the branch to be fruitful. And then the branch that is okay, that's producing fruit, he goes and cuts it, he prunes it so that it can bear more fruit. Now, Jesus speaking to his disciples is saying, look, I want you to know that you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And you believed it. You received the word that I spoke to you. So you're really clean. You're really saved. You're in me. Is that okay? And then on verse 4, he says, So remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. No branch can bear fruit by itself. No branch. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So here's the mystical union. That Paul is talking about, Jesus illustrates it with the vine and the branches and the production of fruit. If you're not connected to the vine, you don't produce fruit. He said that branch, that person is like a branch that is then picked up, that withers and dies, it's picked up and it's thrown into the fire. So outside of Christ, you cannot produce fruit, legitimate, lasting, eternal, acceptable to God fruit. It's that union with Christ. Is that okay? So we're going to just pick up on a few verses. Is that all right this morning? Okay. So the in Christ, in Adam thing is not quite like the in the vine example. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. You know, very often, you know, often I used to say this. We love Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. So let's just start. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, This is verse 1. By the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that okay? Yes. Then he goes on to verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in, in Christ. Isn't that awesome? But you know, a lot of Christians like to stop there. They don't read on. You know, I've been blessed in the heaven realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And they're related to motor cars and houses and fancy watches and woo-woo. And they post on Facebook, I've just been blessed with another car. You know, another car, another car. You see, God has blessed me in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amen. And uh, the people are conditioned just to give them stuff, you know. I'm not being nasty, you know. I'm not being nasty, but I'm just saying that somehow we've equated the blessings in the heavenly realms, the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, we've equated it with things, with material things. And then we get disappointed when we don't get the stuff, you know. We don't get the money. We don't get the promotion. We don't get the nice car. We don't get the lacquer ring, and we don't get the guy. 
get none of that stuff. But we're quoting it with an expectation of getting things. But the Apostle Paul is quite clear that the spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly realms are spiritual blessings. Now, I'm not saying it cannot translate into material blessing, but we are so fixated with comfort and provision and moolah, where we can go shopping. But he says he's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Where? In Christ. So come on, church. We need to understand who we are in Christ. What does it mean? Because we can then secure all of those spiritual blessings and enjoy them. Okay? So we're going to look at verse 4. That's what I said, isn't it? For he chose us. Paul is now starting to show us what those spiritual blessings are. Context. Is that okay? For he chose us. In him. Come on, everybody say in him. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. So in the foreknowledge of God, when he looked at Christ, potentially in Christ, we were already chosen. But we discovered our chosenness when we came into Christ. Amen? And we realized, oh man, God chose me before I even existed, before I was even thought of by anybody else. But God thought of me, amen? That's why he could say, that's why he could say to, for example, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Is that okay? But he wasn't, you know, David wasn't pre-existent. He began his existence in his mother's womb. But God knew of him before. Is that okay? So you were chosen in Christ before the creation of the world. Now I want you to look at the rest of the spiritual blessings. So in Christ you were chosen to be what? To be holy. Now let's just stop there. Let's just stop there. Let's stop there. To be holy. Wow. And blameless. It's just another expression of it. In His sight. Isn't that amazing? So when it came into time and space, that day, where the inner church by yourself you just acknowledge Christ as your Savior. You came to a realization of what He's done for you, who you were without Him. You turned around. You repented. You accepted Him. You believed in Him. The Bible tells us that He presented you then before Himself as holy and blameless in His sight. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, isn't that incredible? You know, before that, you were not holy. And blameless. Before that moment, you were not holy and you were not blameless. The moment you accepted his work on the cross, you were presented before him as holy and blameless in his sight. I mean, that's powerful, isn't it? You know, and it's, isn't it incredible how it's a thing the enemy continuously is trying to remind you of your past sins, of your failures. He reminds you of how you blew it this week. Because what he's trying to do is to mess with that thing there where he accuses you to your own conscience, but he accuses God to you, but he also accuses you to God. And so what he's trying to mess with the fact is of this incredible truth is that when God looks at me, he sees me as holy and blameless now. Yeah. Now that's a very good place to say, 
anything, even if it's amen. Amen? So he presents us holy and blameless in his sight. Now look at this. In love, verse 4, in love, this is still in Christ, in Christ, in love he predestined us. In love. In love. So before you even existed, he already loved you. And in love, he predestined you. So your whole predestination, your whole choosing, everything was because of this incredible love of God. In love, he predestined you for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In accordance with, and I love this. When I memorized Ephesians, I love these words in Ephesians 1 and other places. In accordance with his pleasure and will. In love, he predestined me. In accordance with his pleasure and will. In other words, it pleased him. When you came along, he was happy. When you got saved, didn't go like, oh, you. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess you're my child, you know. I did make you after all. There was none of that. There was none of like, whoops, that was an accident. How did you get here? <laughs> that was a clipsy. <laughs> no, there was none of that. You know, in accordance with his pleasure and will. And when you came to him, that's why all of the angels rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance. Amen? And the day you arrived, there was a celebration in heaven because they're looking at the face of the Father and he's going like, this one that was dead is alive. This one that was blind now sees. Amen? Come on, he predestined us for adoption. Woo! He just couldn't wait for it, you know? He had all his forces at work. Even that irritating person, that irritating Christian was always talking about Jesus. That irritated you before you got saved, you know? And he's got all these forces around you. He's got Coca-Cola adverts. You know, Coke adds life. You know, all these kind of things. No, Coke doesn't add life. Jesus adds life. I met a guy. He's a pastor now. But he got saved driving on one of these highways. And there was a big billboard and it said, Coke adds life. He was pagan, out and out pagan. Obviously, he'd heard about Jesus, but out and out pagan, drinking and all sorts of things. He drove past the board and he saw Coke adds life, and he said, No, Coke doesn't add life. Jesus adds life. When he thought it, he realized, Oh my goodness. And he accepted Jesus wow. in the ministry. Wow. You know, I mean, you talk about being predestined to be adopted as a son. Woo! I mean, God will use anything, you know? And he'll speak to us because it's just, it's just every, the delight of God. He just, he's doing everything he can to bring us to the place where we say, Jesus, I just give you my life. Thank you for what you've done. And the pleasure of God. Verse 6, and I think we'll kind of stop there, I think, in accordance with his pleasure. To the praise of his glorious grace, his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in, in the one he loves. Where are you going to find grace? In. Now, I know that there's grace before you come to Jesus, but that leads you to Jesus. How much more grace is there when you're in? Much more grace when you're in Christ. You all good? I mean, these are some of the spiritual blessings. Let's move to verse 7. And uh, verse 7 says this. It starts off with, it's talking about our union with Christ, our connection, our relationship, our inclusion into Christ, our being placed in Him. It's only in, in Him that we have redemption through His blood. In other words, 
we were redeemed. We were purchased. We were bought out. And uh, I like the way Pastor Rufus said it yesterday. I have said it before. He took us out of stuff to bring us into stuff. He took us out of Egypt type of the world to bring us into the promised land or the land of the promises. Is that okay? He took us out of Adam to put us in Christ. He took us out of death to put us into life. Amen? Out of darkness into light. I mean, he took us out. So in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, not because of our goodness, not because we're just so close to divinity, because we're so special, because we're human beings. Listen, a a human being without Jesus is lost. They're not going to end up in heaven one day, like the inclusionists say. The inclusionists teach that even the devil will be redeemed, and one day he'll be shouting glory, hallelujah, in the presence of God. In accordance with the riches of God's grace. Woo! Come on, if there's no punishment, if there's no consequence, if there's no hell, what's the purpose of grace and mercy? What is the purpose of grace and mercy? So in accordance with the riches of God's grace, so we have redemption. Look at verse 8, that he lavished on us. He lavished it on us. He lavished grace. He lavished his love. He lavished it on us. Is that okay? I mean, he poured it out in abundance. And he goes like, you want grace? I'll give you grace. And he's just pouring out his just kindness all over us. He lavishes it on us. You know, more than enough grace than what's required. And I love it when Paul says, and he did it with all wisdom and all understanding. I mean, he was working with a plan, church. So... Look at verse 9, and then we're going to skip to another one. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed where? In Christ. So you can only fully understand his will when you're in Christ. Is that okay? In Christ. Okay, I think let's just skip down to verse 13. Look at verse 13, I love it, and verse 14. So Paul was talking about the fact when he was writing to the Ephesians, we came to Christ. But now he's talking about the Ephesian Christians. And he says, and you also were included in Christ. When? When? When you somehow pre-existed somehow in eternity? No, no. When you heard what? The message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, everybody say believed. When you believed. See, the inclusionists say that everybody's going to get saved, more or less whether they believe it or not. Everyone's saved. Everyone is saved. They just need to realize it. No, everybody's not saved. It's when you believe. He came to his own. His own received him not, John chapter 1. But as to many, as many as, not to all, but to as many as received him, to them that believed on him, to them, not all, to them, he gave the power to become sons of God. Is that okay? And so he said, when you believed, now this is another thing. What? You are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. What? Oh, that's amazing. So, I mean, we could pause here now, and we could go off on a whole series for months and months and months, talking about the incredible Holy Spirit who is in us, but He's the promised Holy Spirit. 
the spirit of promise. Is that okay? And he seals us. We've been marked with the seal. So he seals us in Christ. Hallelujah. Let's just see the finish of that verse 14. And uh, he says, Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory? So in other words, church, what we have now is just the down payment of what is unfolding and what we will have. Is that okay? It's like you go to Mercedes and you see this nice car and you put down the deposit, the down payment. They give you the car and you pay it off until eventually you own the car. And right now what we have is the deposit, but the deposit guarantees our full inheritance until the redemption. Until the redemption. What is he talking about? Until even our bodies are redeemed. Amen. So he's talking about our redemption. So right now your spirit is redeemed. Is that okay? So sitting here in church getting this teaching is part of him redeeming your mind because it's being renewed. But the day will come when this is so renewed, we'll step into something called immortality where we will live forever because the redemption, the final redemption is that even my flesh is saved. Amen. It won't get old. It won't be sick. To the praise of His glory. Woo! Amen. So the Apostle Paul, you know, I mean, how many of you know, can see that these spiritual blessings are really awesome? How many of you can see it's better than a new car? Yeah. And if we get that, if we get that and understand that and live in that, that reality, that truth, God will add the other things. But seek first the kingdom. He knows what you need. All those things will be added to you. Is that okay? He'll add them. You don't have to go running after them. Please, let's not chase stuff. Let's pursue what Christ has done for us. Amen. Our inclusion, our union in Him. Woo! Hallelujah. So the connection with Christ is what makes it possible for the Spirit to secure us forever. So look at Philippians 3, and we're going to look at the last part of verse 8. And then we're going to go into verse 9. I'm still reading the New International Version. Paul says, you know, everything that I've attained, everything that I attained, I, 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 just, I consider it loss. Let's read the whole verse. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Because he's talking about his credentials. Yeah. The tribe he's from, who he studied under. Yeah. You know, his legal qualifications. It's really interesting that Paul says, according to the law, I was faultless. Well, then he would have been the only man ever to have been able to keep the whole law. But he says, legal righteousness. But obviously it was all external observation. Paul doesn't account for what was happening inside. <laughs> so he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, trash, some translations, dung, that I may gain Christ. So I wonder what they do with that verse. Because here's the great Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, he wrote that verse, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. He wrote all these verses that we're talking about being in Christ. And he's saying, but I'm still pursuing Christ. Everybody, are you following? 
that I may gain Christ. Paul says this to the Colossians. He says, I'm still lacking as regards the sufferings of Christ. In other words, what Jesus obtained for us on the cross, he said, I'm still lacking in that regard, some things. So he says, so I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. In other words, he's saying, when I look at the body, I see they're lacking, but I realize I'm lacking of the fullness of what Christ obtained on the cross, and I'm pressing in that I may gain Christ, that I might get a revelation on the fullness of Christ, that it will all dwell in me. But it's for the sake of the church so that I can keep teaching them. It's amazing that in somewhere around um, Acts 20, he says to the Ephesian church, he says, I did not shun to disclose to you the full counsel of God. I mean, imagine sitting under that teaching. He says, I gave you the full, to the Ephesian church, the full, the full counsel of God. Maybe I'll give you a preview of when I preach the Igniting Fresh Fire sermon. Let me give you a preview. The Corinthian church was the most fleshly churches of all the churches that are mentioned in the Bible. Corinthian church. I mean, there was, there, was, there was stuff happening in that church that would make you blush. Yeah. Yeah. And yet the Apostle Paul says, you lack no spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for Jesus Christ to be revealed. Yeah. You know, as far as the Holy Ghost is concerned, you got the stuff. Yeah. I mean, you're having revival, you're speaking in tongues, you're prophesying, you're all this kind of things. The Thessalonian church, they're so burned out by prophecy they don't want any prophets. They don't want any prophecy because, you know, they weren't taught by Pastor John. On <laughs> humbly yours. No. But, so their pastor didn't teach them. So Paul says, quench not the spirit. Don't treat prophecy with contempt. There's a balance. He says, hang on to what's good. Reject what's evil. So they were tuned out. The Ephesian church was the most doctrinally sound church because Paul said, I declared to you the full counsel of God. It's just a couple of years down the road, the apostle John gets caught up into the spirit. And the Lord shows him a door in heaven and says, John, come up here. But before that, he turns around and there's Jesus walking amongst you know, the candlestick. Yeah. And the candlestick's there. But I want you to notice no mention of flames on the candles. But he is holding the seven stars in his hand, which are the seven pastors of the seven churches, to which John now must write. And then he writes, Ephesians 2, to the church in Ephesus, write, Laodicea, Philadelphia, write to these churches and tell them, this is what I say. And, and then in John 4, he's caught up, and there's the stars in the hand of Jesus, and there in front of him is the sevenfold Spirit of God blazing like flames of fire. What's John seeing? John seeing that Jesus has the fire, but he wants to put it onto the churches because they've lost the fire. And the first church he writes to is the church in Ephesus, and he says, listen, you've persevered, you've stood, you've walked through trials, uh, you've stood up against false apostles, and you, know, you showed them what they are, and that is false. And he says, but I've got this against you, you've lost 
your first love. That burning, fiery, zealous, passionate love for me. And he says, if you don't repent and did what you did before, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand. This theologically perfect church, Jesus has an issue. He says, there's no fire. Where's the fire? Okay, I thought that was good. But anyway, are you all with me? It's going like, you can have all the doctrine, but where's the fire? He says, you've got to get back your first love. So for the Ephesians church to get the fire lit again, they had to get back their first love for Jesus. He said, repent and do what you did at first. So what was he saying? Remember when you first got saved, you would witness to anything. And if you couldn't see a person, you would even try and evangelize the dog and the cat and the budgie. You'd be telling them about Jesus because you were so on fire, so passionate. Amen? You remember those days? Remember those days? You couldn't wait to get to church. It's like, why is the pastor so lazy? We only have one or two services on a Sunday. I want services every night of the week. Yeah. <laughs> you remember those days? Yeah. If there was half an altar call down the front, yeah, Jesus more. And yeah, Jesus is saying, do the things that you Just fall in love with me again. Just get back your first love. That's what will secure the fire. Hallelujah. Come on, we need to get that back again. Amen. If it walks past you and looks unsaved, you're making a plan of how you can introduce the subject of the gospel. What you can do to tell them about Jesus. Amen. It's really sweet. Um, Tanya tells me, said, every time I look for Andre, you know, this holiday away, he's witnessing to people. He's just ministering to them. She says, I go up and have a rest, and I look down in the pool, and he has a whole circle of farmers, and they're all standing around Andre, and Andre's standing there, just giving them the word <laughs> in the swimming pool. Come on, I mean, that's what we should be like, amen? Come on, tell the person next to you, get your first love back. Amen? Woo! So he says that I may gain Christ, that's where we were, and be found where? So we're going back to Philippians 3, verse 9. And he says, and be found in him. Be found where? In him. I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. Listen to this. On the basis of faith. The righteousness that comes from God. You can only get that righteousness in Christ, when you believe, put your faith in God. Amen? But now listen. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Just as much as it was a miracle to make Jesus sin for us when he was sinless, same miracle that it took for God to take us who are sinful and make us innocent in His sight, forgiven. Is that okay? And we receive not our own righteousness, but the very, the very righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? So the righteousness we need to stand before God, we have in connection with Christ. And that's why then Paul says this. There is Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation is there? None. 
we got to understand that because in the early days when people started to understand that the fact that they were the righteousness of God in Christ, they limited that condemnation to no guilty feelings. So whenever the devil would accuse them, whatever they felt guilty or accused, they would say, no, I have no condemnation in Christ. Listen, if you are messing up, if you're messing up, you should get little feelings. If you're doing something wrong, you should. Your conscience should be speaking. That's what it's there for. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? But if you're walking, but it mustn't lead to condemnation where you alienate yourself from Christ. You repent, you say, sorry, Lord, and then you carry on as a child of God. Amen? So no condemnation means that I'm not condemned to a life of sin. I'm not a helpless victim of sin, number one. Number two, number two, I'm not condemned to the judgment one day, but in between, it means that I can live without condemning thoughts and condemning feelings. But it doesn't mean that I don't have to ask for forgiveness for sins if I'm doing something wrong. Is that okay? But when I've asked, I receive forgiveness, and then I reject all condemnation. Everybody following me? But where is that? That is for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So this inness, this being in Christ, how do we get this connection? And I love what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says this, it is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus. It is because of Him. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. I love it. I'm not going to push it any further, but there it is. So Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. He's our wisdom. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. And I just love it. I love the way the NIV puts it as opposed to the King James uh, because I'm just more familiar with the words in the NIV. In other words, Christ has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness. So when we accept him, we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. Are you all with me? But after that, as I continue to live in him, he is my holiness. Because now he's changing my life. I actually am becoming holy. I'm becoming righteous. And so, ultimately then he's also my redemption where even my physical body is saved. So in other words, Christ, the wisdom of God, he is the answer from the beginning of my salvation right through to the end. He's the alpha and the omega and everything in between. So when we get saved, how do we get saved? Through faith. For it is by grace you've been saved. So the inclusionists would quote this verse this way according to their doctrine. For it is by grace you have been saved. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God so that no one can boast, not by works. No, no, no. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. So we get born again through faith. But how do we live our Christian lives? How do we continue to live in Christ? By faith. So Paul says, I have, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth 
in me. Woo. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith. The faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? Not by faith, but the faith of the Son of God. So in other words, he comes and gives us his own faith. So we're living this life by the faith of the Son so that we can be sons. Amen. Woo! Because he loves us. Amen? And all of that, yeah, glory. And all of that is in Christ because we are united with him. We've been included in him. We've been placed in him. We're in a relationship with him. Inseparably linked for eternity. Wow. Amen. The same life force that's in the vine is in the branch. Producing legitimate fruit. Woo. Amen. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Come on, church. When you lay hands on someone that's sick, you can ask Alna, how many people has she laid hands on and nothing happened? All they got was a little warm feeling where her hand was. But now, now, as believers, as we grow in faith and we lay hands on people and they're starting to get healed and they're getting delivered and set free from things that, you know, come through because of abuse of fathers or whatever it is, you suddenly you lay hands on people and something happens to them because I'm connected to the vine. I'm in union with him. I'm married to him. Amen. So when I put my hand, it's not John, it's Christ in me that's... Flowing through. Amen. I laid hands on a brother last night. I tell you, I laid hands on him like this. But because of what he's been through and uh, what's happened to him, all the disappointments and that, he's one of those very difficult to receive because of all the disappointments. So I lay my hands on him and I can feel the flow of the the sap of the vine goes onto him. But then I feel it comes back to me because he just can't receive, you know, he doesn't feel worthy to receive, and I'm saying, hey, brother, I mean, I need it, like, you know, like, I, I, I need this blessing, but, you know, I'm trying to give it to you, they said, don't give it back to me, because I'll fall down, and said, you just keep receiving, and I could see that every time he resisted, ooh, I could feel it coming back, and I just get, I said, no, brother, don't give it back to me, just keep receiving, and then I just started to prophesy into his life about all the disappointments and, and the setbacks and the rejections and being overlooked for jobs and promotions and how he's interpreted that as he's useless and not worthy. And he's standing there and I see the tears begin to stream down his face. His wife is sobbing. She, is, she lost it as I started to prophesy. I mean, she's sobbing uncontrollably and just looking at her husband with all this compassion because she knows the hurt and the pain. And the more I'm ministering to him... And he's realizing how much God loves him. You can just feel this life force. Is it from John? No, it's not. It's from Christ in me because I'm in Christ. Amen. Because there's this union. So what is that? It's legitimate fruit. Amen. Come on, we produce fruit. Then when we lay hands on people and something happens inside of them. Wow. And I don't know about you. I've laid hands on a lot of people and they didn't get healed. I prayed for a lot of people and they died. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. So when somebody does get healed, me, I know it's not me. Because I've done a lot of it where it didn't, nothing happened. So I can't take credit when it does happen because I know it's not me. But I know it's Christ in me because I'm in Christ. He can be in me because I'm in Him and in union with Him. Come on, we produce fruit because of our union with Christ. Amen. Yeah, hallelujah. Woo. 
Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Why don't we just raise our hands and just begin to reflect on, meditate on, and think about it. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. He's blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Chose me in and before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And that's what you are. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. In love, He predestined you to be adopted as His child. In love. In accordance with the riches of His grace that He lavished on you. He lavished that grace on you with all wisdom and understanding. In Him you have redemption. Come on, your past sins, past failures, all gone. All gone. You're redeemed. You're out of darkness, you're in light. You're out of the enemy's territory, you're in Christ. Out of the world, you're in Him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the incredible, incredible salvation that is ours. Lord, I want to thank you that we are so united with you, that we cannot be disunited. Paul says, not trouble, not famine, not sword, not danger, not peril, not angel, nor demon, height, nor depth, nothing, nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of God that is in, in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Lord, I want to thank you for this incredible love with which you love us. And Father, I want to thank you as this truth and these truths just become more of a revelation, more of a realization. Lord, we'll realize who we are in Christ, who we have inside of us, the fullness, the fullness of the Godhead lived in Christ bodily. And we've been given fullness in Christ. So the fullness of God is in us. Father, I want to thank you that we are so united with you that when we lay hands on someone Jesus touches them when we look at someone Jesus is looking through our eyes when we speak Jesus is using our voices in the old days we used to sing the incredible song Oh, to be his hand extended. Father, thank you that we're, we're the hand of Jesus extended. Oh, we bless you. We bless you. Just linger for a moment. Just love the Lord a little bit. Father, I just want to thank you. Just want to thank you. Just bask in the freshness of that, the truth this morning, the freshness of that word. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, I just thank you for the the work of your precious Holy Spirit. He will just continue to speak, to bring the reality of our relationship with Jesus, our union with Christ, our being in Him and Him being in us our marriage bond where we produce fruit legitimate not dead works but life works Father I thank you for it in Jesus name Lord everyone here workplaces in business place in home Father at pleasure at work 
that, Lord, there'll be this continuous just bearing fruit in all seasons. Father, in the name of Jesus, that the fruit of the Spirit would be our portion in the name of the Lord Jesus. We all agreed and said, Amen. Amen.